Hi, everyone. It's me, Reshma Sajani, the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. Welcome to Brave Not Perfect. On this podcast, I talk with up-and-coming changemakers from all around the world, but with a little twist. Every episode is going to highlight ideas from my new book, Brave Not Perfect. Fear less, fail more, and live bolder. Get ready to break free from the cult of perfection. Today, I'm talking to Morgan DeBond, the founder and CEO of Blavity. Blavity is the largest media startup and lifestyle brand for black millennials. Under her leadership, Blavity has successfully acquired two companies, raised over nine million in venture funding, and reaches millions and millions of people a day online. Morgan's a badass, and I'm so excited for all of you to get to meet her today. So tell me about who you are and your path to being CEO of Blavity. Yeah, so um, I am a Black girl from St. Louis, and I started off my career in Silicon Valley working at a big tech company. And while I was there, I fell in love with this idea of being a creative and innovator and building products at scale that that millions and millions of people could use on a monthly, daily, weekly basis. And one of the things that I also observed while I was working in the tech industry was that a lot of times these products aren't necessarily designed for women of color in mind. And despite the fact that we're the most engaged users on almost every single social network and we're early adopters of products, and it was kind of baffling to me and seemed like a huge market opportunity um, that was just kind of sitting on the table in the Bay Area. And with that in mind, I started to also notice that um, in the black media space that a lot of existing black media companies were really kind of like antiquated in their way of thinking about engaging online with like the this young generation of people who are interested in unique stories and, and things that are happening in other people's ideas and want to share their their thoughts and in the comments section on Instagram or on Twitter. And Blavity is very much um, was the beginning of creating something that could be a mix of all of that, a place where people of color could see themselves reflected in the stories, where we're building technology and platforms yeah. that's actually designed for people of color. Um, and so, so how would you describe what Blavity is in like a, a sentence? Uh, Blavity is a media company and platform for kind of this young black generation that's coming up right now. So you know the numbers. It's like what, less than 20 black women in the history of our nation have raised more than a million dollars in seed capital. I spend a a ton of time investing in women of color because I believe that our ideas are just not, are not really supported in the way that they should. What do you think about that? How do you feel being one of the few black women who have been able to raise that amount of money? Well, I think that raising money is, is very difficult. And I think that for a black woman specifically, oftentimes we're at a disadvantage because we don't have the existing kind of family or social network that a lot of, of our white counterparts do and even black males do oftentimes. It can be challenging to just break into the conversation and use the right vocabulary and use the right kind of methodologies that venture capitalists are used to seeing on a regular basis. So it's certainly a challenge. I do think that there's some amazing, amazing women who are raising this money and their stories need to be be highlighted way more than they currently are in the media and, and so that we can see positive examples and, and learn from them as well. 
I couldn't agree more. So I've been thinking a lot. I'm, you know, my book, Brave Not Perfect, is about like how we as women can unlearn perfectionism. And I was thinking about a lot about this in, in the context as a woman of color. So like I was born as the daughter of immigrants. Like my father, my mother always told me I had to be better than everybody else, right? To like, we had to do it better, more perfectly, right? Make no mistakes if we were going to get a shot. How do you feel like as a as a woman of color, as a black woman, like what role does perfectionism play for you? Yeah, you know, I totally identify with that. My, my parents aren't immigrants, but I think just people of color in general in America have been taught that we have to be 10 times better. You know, there's no such thing as second place because second literally means you're out of the game um, for many of our parents and, and our ancestors. And so like, yeah, like we've, we've had to build this company in a way that made sure that even if, even if, you know, Silicon Valley stopped funding Blavity, it didn't matter because we had mm. support and we had different lines of business and that we are sustainable on our own. And, and I think that's forced us to be better um, and to be able to weather even some of the media storms that are happening right now that we see. How did that affect you though as an entrepreneur, right? It's like, because in Silicon Valley, it's like you almost have to, the more you talk about your failure, right? The more people want you. I mean, at least that's the norm for white men or, or Asian men, right? But that's not the same for us. So how does this, like this tape, our parents kind of running, that running tape in our head, right? That we're playing, play into also like fitting into the mold of what it means to be a successful or to be an entrepreneur. Like, do you see them in opposition? Because I, I struggle with this. You know, I think that I have, and it's probably a defense mechanism at this point in my career where I don't even, I cannot think about failure. You know, it's not even an option. You know, I think it's it's always about a pivot or a slight change before mm. we ever get there. So failing is not ever going to be a traditional definition of like not succeeding. It's always about just changing the definition of success and going after a different, a different mark. I think it's probably a defense mechanism that I've had to build to your point because there's I cannot fail, right? The failure um, it means we carry so much on top of of being a CEO or a founder. I also am a representation of Black women in tech and Black women in media and a Black girl from St. Louis, right? Like I carry all these other identities with me, and so failure is not an option. Do you think imperfection is an option for women of color? Like. It's been powerful watching Michelle Obama and Stacey Abrams this past couple of weeks, right? Michelle talking about her IVFs, talking about going to couples counseling with Barack, you know, Stacey Abrams almost embracing her loss saying, you know what, I'm running again. Like right. in some ways it's like they've kind of showed that, yeah, maybe imperfection is an option for women of color. Maybe we need to like, you know, maybe failure needs to be an option for us or at least in the way that we talk about it. What do you think about that? I certainly think that imperfection is a part of all of our journeys. Like no one is perfect. I think it's beautiful that people are now starting to talk about that more openly. The question is, could they have talked about that in the moment before their success, mm. right? Like if we had known when Michelle, when they were running for office in the second term that they were in couples therapy, perhaps, right? Like would we have still voted for him, right? It's a great question. That is, that yeah. is the is like, I mean, she's already – the first lady, like she's already beloved by everybody, you know, and Stacy, same thing. And like them being vulnerable actually makes them more human. It makes us love them more, but that's after already achieving a level of, of, of perceived success. 
I mean, I, I feel this way too. It's like I talk about my failures and my you know losing Congress after I've become the CEO of Girls Who Code, right? After I've proven myself to the world. Now it's celebrate. I mean, it's 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 a really whereas I don't think that I don't think that men and or even white women have to necessarily do that. But you know, what I do think is helpful and hopeful is that like maybe the next generation of women can be more transparent about and it gets closer to their reality, right? Like maybe they don't have to be as far removed from their success to start to talk about, well, actually I was really unhappy when you guys thought, thought I was winning. I was miserable, mm. <laughs> right? And yeah. we can talk about the that actually now in the moment. I mean, even the fact that we're talking about this, you know, you're going to continue. You are, you are not finished yet, girl. Like you are still rolling. Like you have so much ahead of you and, and we're talking about this stuff now. So I think that is a hopeful sign. Yeah. So you really, I mean, I love you live your life very authentically, you know, and you just have to look at your social media presence, right? You're talking about your like traditional meetings with your, your post about going out with your girls. Like, was that a conscious decision for you? Or is that just like, you're living, you're showing people how you live? It's definitely a conscious decision to be vulnerable and like to show, Hey, like I'm going to go out and like twerk on Saturday night. And then I have a <laughs> Tuesday that I am not ready for. So I am up for two days in a row. And, um, and I show you guys a face without makeup. And I show you guys a face where my eyebrows are on fleek, right? Like I show you both. And it's definitely intentional because I didn't have that growing up. And I didn't have that, you know, everybody looks just so well put together. And social media, in fact, now with Instagram and Snapchat, when you really can curate this whole fake version of yourself. And I think that just perpetuates this narrative for women that like you're supposed to have it all and look great all the time and just be a boss all the time. And that's just not the case. When I was writing my book, I did these focus groups and like so many women told me that they have two Instagram accounts, right? One for the life that they really live and one for the life that they people think they live. I and mean, that's like, and that's really this massive kind of anxiety and, you know, suicide epidemic right now with young women. It's it's too much to live your life like that. I agree with you. It's, it's too much. And in fact, I actually think some of the platforms are starting to realize that. I mean, Instagram is testing this new feature, right? Where you can just have your small group of friends and only show content to a small group of friends because they know like the emotional kind of trauma that we have on a daily basis, seeing all this content, what that impact might be. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that feature. I haven't used it yet. I need to think about it. What do you think needs to change for women and women of color to feel like they belong in tech? I think that we as an industry and as like leaders coming up in this kind of new generation of tech, it's like we have to continue to fight the good fight. And like we, it's our responsibility. It's me, you, it's Arlen, it's like Jessica Matthews. It's all of our responsibility to continue to be transparent and to be vocal even though it means that we're putting ourselves out there, right? Um, and we're putting ourselves at risk. I don't believe that the white man in the ivory tower is ever going to make an impact on my day-to-day at this point. Mm. Or my sisters or my daughters. Like, it's not, they're not going to do it. It's, they have no incentive to. I do absolutely fundamentally believe that, like, we can make a difference, and so I think it's on us to keep pushing and to, to not let up on this narrative and to really make sure that, that we are supporting each other financially, investing in other startups and being advisors and mentors to other founders. There's a lot of things that we can do. Yeah, I've really struggled with that, right? Because I always thought that Silicon Valley would be different, you know, because yeah. it was a community of nerds, right? If you're a nerd, regardless of who you love or what you look like or what your, you know, what yeah. the color of your skin is. But it's turned out to not be the case. Why do you think that is? 
I was actually really just, I was like hurt. Like I was emotionally hurt when I first started raising because I thought the same thing. I thought, wow, like look at my metrics, look at my numbers, look at my grit, look at my hustle, like all the things Mm. that they tell you, right? All these little like Silicon Valley blogs from all these (laughs) angels, right? Yeah. I was like, I got it. And what I didn't have (laughs) was something out of my control. And that really hurt me for a while. And I was totally discouraged and, and even like left the Bay for a while. I went to DC for like six months. How'd you come back? How'd you not give up? How did I not give up? What made me come back? It was a, I mean, I was still at the same company. So I basically just like left, but switched roles and came back into a different role. It was exciting. I mean, I love, I love innovation. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let somebody else and their choices in the, the industry make me not be do something that I love. And their right? ignorance. And then, yeah. You know, we have to keep going. Mm. So I think, yeah, like I was, I mean, I was still like 23 at the time. It's like, you know, you can't take me out the game. It's too early. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. You have to have that spirit. I mean, that's like resilience, right? And I think that's a lot about being a woman of color, a lot of person uh, or a person of color. It's a lot about being a woman because it's like people have counted you out your whole life. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not new for you. No, but it is disappointing when you think, particularly in an in a, in a industry that says that it's about meritocracy and the best ideas. I think we're now learning that it's not just that. It's your network. It's, you know, the boys club. It's all that as well. Do you spend a lot of time mentoring women and black women to tell them like what the playbook is? Yeah, I do. Um, I spend a lot of time answering questions in my DMs on Instagram and Twitter, having like group lunches and brunches with women in LA or Atlanta. I also, I think, have built and tried to build this into my day-to-day at Blavity in terms of the infrastructures that we're building through our conferences and our events so that we can actually make an impact at scale as well. Um, I think that's super important to just open up the information gates. You know, you know I, feel, I feel lucky that I was able to maneuver um, San Francisco and the Bay Area in the way that I did. It was not guaranteed that I would have made it out and that Blavity would be successful. And so how do we how do we make more systems and give more information so that the likelihood that it's just up to luck, you know, is reduced for women of color and for just people of color in general. I couldn't agree with you more. I've been thinking a lot about this. So much of it is knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Because you've broken in, I've broken in some places. I now know what the playbook is and it's about sharing that with others. Um, and training guys are doing fantastic work about just like actually just training people to be their own boss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's like what you said, no one's going to let you in. You got to break the door down. And I think once you accept that, in some ways it makes it a lot easier because up until then you're waiting for someone to be, you're smart enough, you're good enough. You could, you know, and that doesn't happen. It needs to happen more amongst us. And I think that's changing amongst our communities as women and our sisterhood. But so do you, do you consider yourself a perfectionist? Do you struggle with that? Do you have that inner voice? I'm not a perfectionist. I have very high expectations for myself and others. In fact, that is feedback that my team has given me. <laughs> um, and sometimes they are subnormal. Like they are, they're just so, I have high expectations, but it's not about perfection. It is about doing your absolute best. Right. So even if your absolute best was a hundred percent, um, or actually even if you got a hundred percent, but you didn't do your best work and you could have gotten a hundred and five percent or you could have done it faster, then that's my expectation. Yeah. We I talk about this in my book. Yeah, the difference between excellence, like obsession and love is the difference between perfection and excellence. 
Yeah, it's excellence is my expectation, not perfection. Did you ever feel like you were a perfectionist, or you feel like from you, you that was never you? No, that was never me. I mean, I was. Why a do you think that? Is- <laughs> <laughs> because I just had too much fun. I just like doing too many things at once, you know. Oh, and God, so, like the likely, I'm like an eighty percent kind of girl. I'm like, oh, it's good enough. Let it go. Let's go. Let's move on to the next. Oh thing. my God, I love you that. Know? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely a blessing. I think it might frustrate some people because I move on. I'm like, it's good enough. You know, if somebody else wants to get that last 20%, fine. Because it's a lot of work to go from, from an 80 to an 100% person. No, that's so powerful, Morgan. Because it's like all these guys who've built these billion-dollar companies, they're all C-plus students. They're not even B-plus students. You know, like they learn that lesson early mm-hmm. on. Early. And they let somebody else fix it. It's so true. It's so, so true. This was awesome, Morgan. Please let me know if you're ever in New York and if there's ever anything that I can do for you. Um, I'm on Team Morgan and Team Brave. so, So I'm really proud of you and you're awesome. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Brave Not Perfect. Want to make bravery a part of your everyday routine? You can buy my newest book, Brave Not Perfect. Fear less, fail more, and live bolder. It's on shelves now and available at your favorite local or online retailer. I can't wait to hear what you think. Till next time, this has been another episode of Brave Not Perfect with me, Reshma Sajani. Brave Not Perfect is produced by Tanya Zaparonic and Emily Scheinbar and edited by Jenny Josephson with music composed by Poddington Bear licensed under a Creative Commons license.